Before we begin, please refer to the disclaimer and link in the podcast notes, and note that all opinions expressed in this podcast are intended for informational purposes only and should not be treated as investment or financial advice. Welcome back to Collective Shift. I'm joined by Alluvium co-founder Aaron Warwick uh, to talk all things Alluvium. Thanks for joining me today. How are you going? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm Feeling good? How about yourself? Yeah, very good. Um, I know our community had tons of questions. Um, pretty pumped about the upcoming game and everything seems like it's progressing along very nicely. Um, so I just love to dive deep into the game and yeah, answer these community questions we've got. Sure. Um, maybe we could start off by providing some background on you, I guess, and your role in Alluvium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm one of the <laughs> co-founders of uh, Alluvium. We started the game sort of late 2020, something something like that. And uh, my brothers came to me with an idea for doing a, uh, a crypto project of, of some sort, a, a type of game. Uh, they know that uh, you know game design and, and development is something that was a passion for mine that I'd never really had an opportunity to do in a professional setting. So they... They suggested that I come and help them. And during the pandemic, I had had a bit of time off from my previous uh, job because everything was shut down. And I was using that time to get into game development and sort of re-hone my skills. And so it sort of dovetailed well. It was a really good opportunity for us. And we we started it off. Um, my role on the project, we, we don't really have names for the roles that we do, but... I think probably the closest thing would be game director is probably the, the closest title to, to what I do. Um, I, I always tell people that I'm the least skillful person on the project, but I tend to know the most about all the different pieces. So I act as a bit more of a connecting glue between all of the different uh, teams. And then we have, you know, much more skillful people in each of those teams that uh, go through and do the actual work. <laughs> nice, yeah. Uh, so maybe you're in a good position then to uh, go over, I guess, how uh, things are progressing along at the moment. Uh, I know there's been a few developments coming up yep. with sales of the Aluvatars yep. and also, um, I guess, a status on, you know, game to play yeah. at the moment, I guess. So um, at the I don't know if it's been pushed back a little bit, but love to hear more yeah, about that. At the moment, we've really got four projects going on outside of the, I guess you would call them ancillary projects. There's things like staking that we're always upgrading in the background, our website. There's, you know, a, a governance dashboard. There's content creator portals and things like that. But I, I would call them all like the the peripheral projects. Of the main projects, there's there's effectively four games that we're doing. One of them is obviously not anywhere near as big as the others in terms of what it is, and that's the Alluvium Beyond project, which at the moment is just a collectible card game where you collect them, put them into the individual collections. As you start to fill up those collections, you get these milestones, you get points, you go up on the leaderboard, you get some rewards. It's... It's gamified collection. Later on, we might be able to do something with that and turn it into more of a competitive PvP uh, card game. 
but we would have to get approval from our council because we're decentralized. So uh, we would have to put some some sort of a proposal forward about what it is that we want to build, let that go through the community, they can give feedback on it, and eventually it gets voted on by the council. So that is starting at the beginning of next month. That will be our first sale of the first wave. Each wave is sort of like a, a subset of the overall alluvials that we have. There's 156 alluvials, I believe. And in this first one, there'll be just 25 plus an extra 25 of what we call the tier zero alluvials that will be available in, in every wave. So that one is progressing really well. It's going to be right up until uh, the last moment where we're adding and improving features, but that will be an extra, I guess, sort of uh, feather in our cap. And then we also have three games that are in a private either alpha or beta stage. Those three games are a city builder called Alluvium Zero, which is meant to be similar to that sort of Clash of Clans or uh, Simpsons tapped out style where you're just building things out. It doesn't really have the fighting aspects yet, but that is definitely part of the plans into the future. Then we've got Alluvium Overworld, which is our third person, uh, really graphically rich uh, adventure game where you go around the world collecting all of these uh, creatures. And then we have a auto battler, which we call Alluvium Arena, which is really our proof of concept to take the things from the other game and use them in a standalone title. So it has less to do with the law and less to do with the overall uh, project. But the really cool thing about Alluvium is that as we build up more and more games, the, this, this sort of spine of assets that we have called Alluvials, they'll have different use cases. You'll be able to go into one game and you'll have a deck of them and play an auto battler. Then you'll be able to go into a different game, possibly play like a first person shooter, or then you might go into a dungeon crawling style game, et cetera, et cetera. Once there's a mm. few games in the ecosystem, people will start to really see the advantage of having like one spine of asset that goes throughout all of them, because it means that they will be scarce across all games because you know maybe i like the auto battler and you like playing a kart style racing game but we both need a atlas or a ram fire so when we go onto the marketplace to try and bid for one we're trying to outbid each other for that one that we both really want the more games there are the more buy pressure there is and the more demand there is for the different items so we we think that that will be an interesting sort of way for the ecosystem to evolve instead of it being one game that does everything little modular components each individual game has its own little niche and then uh, people will be able to you know figure out what inside of our ecosystem they want to do and it'll just grow over time Cool. So do they, I'm getting the feeling that I know um, looking at all the testing that's going on, they integrate in one another and especially I think the lands, um, maybe that's something we get into and how I guess they all feed into each other, yep. um, especially with like the in-game economy mm -hmm. when we're looking at how all of this is powered. Yep. Uh, can you provide some more maybe context on, on the land aspect yep. and how that's integrated with some of the other games? Sure. So, so Land is an NFT that is required to play Alluvium Zero. That's the industrial city builder game. And I, I would like to think of that as 
I guess you would call it staking the game. So anyone who knows DeFi protocols, normally you would stake tokens and then there's you know some benefit or utility for doing that. In our protocol, people can stake tokens, but then there's this other thing which a portion of the, the revenues goes to, which is the the people who own land. And the way that it works is you, you buy this NFT, which gives you access to a particular plot of land inside of our game. You build up a bunch of structures on that land that help each other out, you know, power things and you do research, et cetera, et cetera. And eventually you get to the point where you can extract out of the ground what we call fuel. And fuel is sort of like the in-game token that we use for all uh, actions that the player will take that cost, you know, money, you know? So if you were to travel, forge something, uh, finish a shard, or, you know, later on, it could be that there's, you know, a racing game and then you have to unlock a particular map or something, whatever it happens to be, you'll have to pay in fuel. So the way that our economy will sort of be balanced and, and designed is that there's this pool of resources. It's it's like a, um, a multi-token pool that has some of those uh, tokens in it and then also ETH. And if you're in the Alluvium Zero side, you'll be extracting out that uh the, the the tokens out of the ground and you'll be selling them onto the pool, which means that you can take out ETH. If you're one of the people playing the other games, you're the other side of that equation. And if you want to do anything in the game, you need to buy fuel. When you buy fuel, you'll buy it with ETH and that will keep that pool balanced. So if, if it happens to be that there is uh, a glut of people selling tokens and not many people are actually buying those tokens and playing the game, it will dip the price of those tokens and it'll make all of the actions that you can do in game seem a lot more appealing because they'll be at a lower cost. If there's a huge spike in demand and we go from say 10,000 people playing the game to 100,000 people playing the game, you could see that uh, price start to increase. And that will mean that uh, the price of things in the game will go up and up and up with that demand. So we have a way to sort of balance those things together. Now, obviously, over time, we expect that there'll be like a gradual increase in the number of people playing, plus there'll be extra games. So the demand is going to keep on increasing. So we we obviously have to increase the amount of production that's available on the Alluvium Zero side. So maybe for the first year, the maximum amount of fuel that you can take out of the game uh, is say X, maybe a year later, it's maybe two X, right? So we'll try to delicately balance them so that there's, there's a, a rough equilibrium, but on a day-to-day basis, it will totally depend on both the people playing Alluvium Zero and the people playing all of the other games. And mm-hmm. that's something I'm excited to see. Yeah, it's really interesting. That was one of the main takeaways I've had when being in the space and looking at people selling virtual land. Uh, I'm not sure if you feel similar way, but you're sort of selling land without much real utility uh, yeah. or it's sort of future promises. So that was something that I feel like in Alluvium is an interesting concept because it does seem like it's really critical to powering the in-game economy. Uh, so I also know there's other things like shards or like the, there's actually things other minerals or like other things on the land 
that is required to do other activities. There's, Are there any other? So there, there, there may be at some point, but the, the general idea is that there are uh, two games that provide the player with stuff, right? One is Alluvium Zero, and the thing that you get out of that game is the tokens, right? The, these, these fuels, right? That is the end state of that game as it is at the moment is to extract out. Like we say, it's sort of staking the game. If you want to get a sword, if you want to capture an alluvial, et cetera, et cetera. That's where you need to go into the overworld and travel to a particular region. You'll get other items. So you might get ores, you might get gemstones, you might get alluvials, et cetera, et cetera. There's a few other little things that are going in in the next um, uh, beta that we're producing that I can't talk about now, but people will be able to see that there's some other things out of that game that they can get. And the general idea is that anything to do with like a, um, a, a game item should come from Overworld and anything that is fuel should come from Zero, right? That's sort of like the, the split that we have in there. There's, there's no hard and fast rules of this that say that there's nothing else that could be available on Alluvium Zero. But personally, I think that there's some things that we can do probably in the next year or two with Alluvium Zero to really crank up the utility of that. Um, some of those ideas, I've been told that I'm a madman for uh, even contemplating, but I, I think that in the long run, there is a way to get closer to what I would see as the, I guess, the Exodia state of Alluvium, you know, where everything is perfect and everything is running perfectly smoothly. Uh, and I think that there's some tweaks to Olivium Zero that would be needed to get to that state. But as with anything, you got to kick it off somehow and you can't mm. bite off more than you can choose. So for now, it's just about getting that base economy of getting those fuels. And Overworld is just about getting that base economy of the items out of the game. Yeah, thanks for the rundown. Um, I guess we're talking about that initial beta stage with, I guess, the three games that are in... I think private beta you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have sort of an, I guess, an update on how that's tracking along? Is what, is there sort of a release date for there, each that are scheduled? Will one come before the other? Or, no, no. I mean, there's there's yeah. no uh, current external release date. We are, we obviously have an internal date that we are tracking towards. the The thing that I guess we hope that the community understands with what we're doing is. No one has done this before, right? I mean, people have made a third-person game similar to what we're doing. People have made auto battlers. People have made city builders. People have done staking. There's, there's a lot of elements that we're doing that people have done before, but doing it all in one ecosystem, even finding details on how to connect people's accounts where some people don't have anything to do with crypto and they want to use a username and password. And then there's other people that don't want to have a username and password and only want to use a wallet to connect. Being able to merge even something as simple as that is quite difficult because it's just not been done be before. And we now need to set it up in a way that it accommodates both, right? Even if you look at other NFT games, usually most of them, they'll just have an account and then there's a wallet connected to it. We have to have this sort of like flexible relationship because some people in our system only want to do DeFi related 
systems, right? They might want to just trade on the marketplace and never play the game. They might want to do uh, a whole bunch of things that sit outside of our games that we allow people to do. So the, the general idea is that while we have an internal date that we're trying to push towards, and we're definitely trying to release all of these games this year, uh, we don't have anything that's public apart from, I guess, the fourth game, which is Alluvium Beyond, that card collecting game, where we're mm. planning on uh, launching that uh, early next month. And the point uh, is that those three games are very much connected to each other, both in terms of the law, in terms of the economy, they, they don't really work without each other. I mean, we could technically release the auto battler later than the others, but we can't release it earlier. And the other two have to be released simultaneously because, you know, they're connected to each other. So really we have to wait till all of them are ready. And, and it's not that bad because we have very flexible uh, core contributors on our team. So if one of the games happens to be at a ready state before one of the others, we can start to shift resources over to those other games and sort of speed them along to, to get them up to speed. But roughly they're all tracking at about the same uh, finish dates. They, they all are going very well for the last probably three months. I, I think that um, we, we go through waves where there are there's definitely periods where after doing something really huge, the team needs to just have a little bit of a breather. You can't be going at, you know, 11 the whole time. Um, at the moment, I'm probably at that state where I, I've been going at 11 for quite a while and, and, and I need a little bit of uh, uh, downtime just to sort of recharge the batteries. But there's a lot of people that took some time off over the Christmas break or the Chinese New Year break, and they're now back and outputting more than ever. If you look into our Discord and look through the leaks, you'll see that what used to take a while to do, which are like various mechanics and stuff like that, now people are starting to see mechanics come you know, thick and fast, right? And, and the reason for that is because a lot of the baseline systems are complete. Not everything. There are some very important elements of the game that we have not finished and they still require some research and development and a lot of effort to, to get them done. Uh, but outside of them, I, I feel like we could probably go live very soon with something like the auto battler, Alluvia Marina, and it would be in a pretty good state. We'll probably wait a little bit and make sure that it's a bit more polished, but it would be, you know, the acceptable based on most people's sense of, you know, what is considered to be an open beta. That's the other thing to remember is that when we go live, it's still an open beta, which means that we absolutely plan on adding lots of extra things. There, people, people see at the moment, we've got these uh, really beautiful NFTs that we're going to have for all of the alluvials in the game. There's a very good chance that some of them will be a little bit more placeholder than others. And so you'll be looking through your deck and you'll see, for example, an atlas and say, oh my God, that is unbelievable art quality. And then one of the alluvials that comes closer to say 150 in the, the list, it may be sort of at 80%. And people will just have to accept that. I don't think we're going to be at the point where any of the 
regions that we release will just have like a pink box that says tree on it or something like that. But there will definitely be a sense of polish that needs to be done post our open beta release. And that will probably take, I don't know, it could take even a year to get us to the point where we can say all three of those games, maybe four, are all what we would consider to be polished version one. They're not beta anymore. They're ready for consumption by the mass market for the next year. It'll probably be a little bit more people that have been in our project are willing to give us a little bit of leeway. And other people might just like looking at the cool stuff that we have in there because even at our beta stage, the, the graphics are going to be absolutely phenomenal. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for the great overview. I'm definitely, as a Pokemon Co uh, lover, that was probably one of my favorite games. Um, that's probably the aspect of Alluvium that I'm most keen for probably i'll be i think one of those um alluvial catches in the game <laughs> yeah so yeah um, capturing is is certainly an experience people have started to see in uh actually i'm not even sure if we've leaked it i i think we have but uh, uh in in our game the, there's not really a, a pokeball there is a a shard and it's loaded by your companion drone and then the companion drone sort of does like a i guess like an energy-based like suction, like a vacuum cleaner of the alluvial. And we even have an animation for the resistance, right? So in Pokemon, it's just sort of like the ball goes over it and it wobbles a bit and then you either catch it or you don't. In ours, you, you actually see the alluvial sort of straining and pushing back against it, clawing onto the ground, it getting scraped up into it. It, just, it, it looks really, I guess, emotional. It's probably the best way to describe it. And so we, we definitely feel like there's some meme potential for content creators to be online. They've found a hollow ram fire or something like that. One of the really rare alluvials. They've gone into the battle. They've won the battle. They've got out their shard and they're ready to capture it. And that moment of like, please, God, can I please get it? I think that's going to be you know super hype. Awesome. Uh, maybe we could just touch on, I guess, the tokens mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the ILV, I guess, governance token. Mm -hmm. And I know there is there still the, I think, the ILV2, or that was used for staking, maybe? Um, um, there, there's two tokens. There's, there's ILV, which is the governance token. That's how people vote if you want to have some sort of a controlling stake in Alluvium. You have to buy ILV and then stake it. Um, that that is the main purpose of that token. When you stake, it gives you access to you know the the revenue streams and the yield farming that that our system provides. So it does have multi uses, but it's very specifically not meant to be used in the game. That was a very conscious decision from the beginning that we wanted to use some really simple analogs for people to understand that when I go into the game, I use this. And when I'm out of the game, I use this other one. Otherwise it can get a little bit weird. Like I want to vote. So I've got this ILV token, but then I also have to use this ILV token to buy things. That would be a really weird situation to be in. And I, I don't like the idea of someone sort of having to do that trade off when there's no real reason for it in a game. It's great to make people make, you know, difficult decisions. But uh, when you're dealing with staking, you just want it to be very simple. You want a safe protocol that people can see has 
very long-term potential so that they can go, you know what, maybe 90% of the crypto market is you know, super volatile, but Alluvium shouldn't be. It's a game. People play game in down play games in downturned economies. So we want there to be that sense of stability in it because we think that that will be the key to you know getting the the volume up there. But uh, if you if you want to do something in the game, there is this aspect uh, called SILV. Uh, technically, it's SLV two because of a very bad mistake I made a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but SLV two is a substitute token to be used in the game and for example people can use it next month buying the Iluvatars and well, technically they, they have to buy discs which contain Iluvatars and accessories but when you yield farm in our protocol you can actually uh, claim more ILV tokens or you can say nope I don't want to claim those tokens I'm going to forego them and instead I'm going to claim SILV2 that is available for your use immediately. And you can then go and load it up into your IMX wallets and you'll be able to buy as many discs as your um, heart desires. And so for a lot of people, they look at that and, and think of it as like a, an extra utility of it because instead of just being able to claim something that has a 12-month lock, you get access to it straight away. And when you buy, we value it equivalently to ILV. So th those are those two tokens. It, it might sound like there's a little bit of complexity there, but once people get into our system, it's actually dead easy. It's just, do I want to claim and just use it like yields or do I want to claim so that I can buy stuff? Mm -hmm. That's basically what it comes down to. Awesome. And I guess, so that's also the res distribution with the land as well. Mm -hmm. um, how much is the difference from like the land to the to the ILV token in terms of like distribution of those revenues yep. to so it's roughly 95% to token holders and 5% to landholders and that's something that the council at any stage could change right that that's a very easily configurable variable the general idea is that when someone sells their tokens the DAO will also sell an equivalent amount of tokens so that they share in those uh, revenues around about uh, you know nineteen for and, and one for the other. Uh, so so yeah, it's it's the sort of system where uh, we we think that in the long term there might be some other things that we could do to really enhance it and make it even more gamified but for now this was us dipping our toes into the water into having a game have a fundamental effect on staking the and and on the the fuel prices inside of the game and stuff like that and we really needed like we actually had some other mechanisms that were going to do this that were going to be a little bit more automated and then when uh, Kieran came to me with the idea of doing a mini game and then Johnny, our CTO said, Hey, I think that, you know, I've got a few ideas for a decent mini game. We went to the community. They all agreed that this mobile city builder would be the best mini game. It's not really mini anymore. It's, it's quite a in-depth game. Um, as soon as I saw that, I thought I can use this to substitute for these other boring mechanical transactions that I was going to do and put it more into the hands of actual people that will be playing the game and they effectively control the economy 
And I, I've, I, I was speaking to a blockchain dev just yesterday who's looking to join the project. And the second that I explained to him how all three of our games, technically our, all four of them worked, he was like, oh my God, it's like you're building EVE online, but with many games. And, and I think that's probably a, a pretty fair comparison is that we really do want all of the power to be in the hands of the people. That's why we're a decentralized studio. We do all of our actions with the consequence that if the council votes against us, we have to change it and fix it. So we're constantly talking with them about various things in the game. And at the end of the day, we want this whole studio, even though we've got some really talented people on the team working on it, we really want it to be driven by the people and what they want. And we feel like if we can give them a good platform to base it off of in the next 10 years, they'll figure out the best way forward. And I'm a person in the community too. I can put forward my own proposals. Other people can put forward their own proposals and we can just build it out over time. Awesome. I think that's a good segue uh, talking, I guess, about decentralization and I know the council. Uh, is there, I guess, plans for further decentralization down the road or like, yep. I know Illyrium's going with, with, have went with the council model mm -hmm. uh, and choosing some members of the community to represent mm -hmm. them on the council. Yep. Uh, maybe you can discuss any there, future. There is, at the moment, there are five council members and they effectively have the decision-making power. So the way that it works is people put forward proposals and then they vote on them. And then once it's approved, then whoever it is that needs to execute on it, executes on it. At the moment, almost every single one of those proposals has to do with either the DeFi work or the games, which is all controlled or at least all developed by Alluvium Labs, which is like the company that has been contracted by the DAO to do the work. That's, I guess, the company that uh, we currently are in. But I believe that there are some plans to, um, I guess, improve the way that governance works and to give a little bit more fine control to both the community and to the council. It's one of those things where you got to bootstrap it at some point, right? Mm -hmm. And that means that there's, there's always going to be a little bit of control where it's appropriate, held by people on the team. You know, like I, I tend to make a reasonable amount of decisions that we don't discuss with the community. I, I, I try to discuss it with the council, but sometimes even then it's such a small change that you can't go having a proposal go through for changing a value from two to two and a half when you're talking about like the attack damage of a particular character in the game. When it comes to bigger things, we, we try to make sure that they all get approved. For example, we, we had this IIP for the Alluvium Beyond game. And then over time, we realized that we could enhance it. We got an approval to do these extra features. Part of doing these extra features, sort of, we tacked on these other things which further improved it. But the, the council and the community uh, needed to sort of process their way through that. And then once they got all the way through that, they sort of, put forward a counter proposal, which changed some of the variables that we had in there. And that was a really good, robust discussion. And I didn't get my way, but that's 
kind of the point is that I shouldn't be able to just say that I get my way or Kieran shouldn't be able to say he gets his way, et cetera, et cetera. So that whole process allowed us to get to a point where most of the people in the community were happier with the results. And that's really the, the, the end goal is it's not about any individual person being happy. It's about, you know, getting as close to a majority as you can be, be happy with it. I don't think there's ever going to be a time where you're going to get everyone super happy with everything, but nor do you need to. And that's basically how governance works. There are some plans that I can't go into yet that are with the council that uh, will further give them and the community control. That's kind of the other beautiful thing about it is that uh, in in a lot of places, like for example, politics, the people that have the you know controlling power tend to really, really want to keep it. And where we have some of that controlling power at the moment, we really don't want to keep it, right? We want to give that back because it's why we made the project in the first place is to be able to build out a decentralized game, a decentralized studio. And I, I think that that's important to remember is that even if we do things that sometimes people aren't super happy with, the end result is we are going to be giving away all the power that we possibly can to the point where at the end of the day, people will be able to say, I don't like Aaron. I put forward a proposal that we kick him out. And if that passes, then I should definitely be kicked out and they should replace, add a new game director, et cetera, et cetera. If that's the way that the community wants to go, then they should be able to do that. At the moment, that's a little bit tricky. So we're trying to work on how to give them those extra bits of power. And that's an exciting process that will you know, probably take three months to a year to sort of really finalize. And who knows, in 10 years time, it might be a completely different outlook. All I can really say is, is that I strongly hope that whatever sort of voting block that, that exists in that 10 year period, that they look back at our history of constantly giving away power to the people and they honor that all the way into the future. I would really hate to find that we give all of this power away to a small group of people and then they just consolidate that power for themselves and never give it up. That would be uh, like a, a failure in my books, but we have to give, we have to cede some of that control now anyway. And all we can do is just hopefully give as much of a, I guess, a, a positive influence and, and, you know, be a positive role, role model so that they can, you know, look at doing that in the future. Yeah, that's, uh, I think we've all seen as well in the Dow model, when you give too much control to everybody at once, uh, things would just grind to a halt. So I can imagine in a game capacity, that would be yeah. the worst case, probably take an extra 10 years to get it done. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be. But uh, if if we keep getting authority to sort of, you know, build out the games and build it in a bit more of a traditional way, then a lot of that friction is taken away because it's sort of like, well, we'll go and build. We'll keep you up to date. You'll be able to see the updates. We're fairly open with it. I mean, there's certain things that we... Uh, a little bit uh, scared to release. So for example, there's a whole law to our universe that sort of we we can draw upon. It's not the sort of law that will just be a, a single player narrative because, you know, you're, you're not Lara Croft playing a game, getting through to the end because you're all, we want everyone to feel like they're in it 
together, which means that when you, this group, this you know, this race of people crash onto this planet, you're just one of the lowly rangers on that ship, right? You don't get to be the hero of the story, et cetera, et cetera. So everyone gets to sort of experience the story in their own way. They don't get to, at least at the start, like massively influence it apart from a couple of things that we've got planned. And so we, we're a little bit tight on those story elements in terms of, you know, not leaking them out to the public, but we could, right? I mean, if 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 the community said we demand to know the story up front because we want to make sure that it's good and then the council say, okay, we agree, that would be great, then we would just put out all of the story. People would obviously lose, I guess, that impact of finding out the story over a period of a year or two that we have planned, but it's not my call to make. So, Yeah, I think that's yeah interesting to see what's ahead. Um, maybe we can just jump into some of the community questions we also had mm-hmm. uh, for people who were really keen to ask you a few questions. Uh, one of them was talking about the EIP uh, that I think redirected some of the runway or some of the sales from yep. these Aluvatars to, I think, a safety pool fund. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. One of the questions was mainly like, what is the updated project uh, runway? Um, project runway is not actually my specialty. I don't deal with the finance side of it. So I can't tell you what our exact runway is, but I am a fairly conservative person when it comes to trying to like cover all potential possibilities and things that could happen, et cetera, et cetera. I, I was the sort of person, you know, saying, but what if there's a crash, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we could be going through the biggest bull run ever and I'll still be thinking, you know, what if there's a crash? Mm-hmm. I mean, when Alluvium Arena first beta came out, people said, hey, this game is really great. We love it. And I was like, no, that game sucks because what I see is, this game in the future that 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 will come from that. So I I do tend to have a bit more of a negative outlook on on things. So I would always prefer uh, more runway rather than less. I'm not a particularly large risk taker, uh, but the general idea with that is, if if we need it, we need it, and it's there. If we don't, and then you know things start going great later on, then there's always the ability to then you know redistribute that back to people. So we think it's fairly prudent. We're glad that that one passed, and now our job is to try and you know maximize this this sale. And I think sometimes people get a little bit uh, frustrated. You know, in the community, sometimes people will say, well. I want everything to be free. I just want to have a free game, you know, and, and and that's the way that it works. The problem with that is that there is upkeep, you know, towards, you know, paying people. Uh, we uh, offer, you know, I, I would suggest, you know, fairly standard rates for our uh, team. However, our team is fa- fantastic, right? So in terms of, you know, what they get, I would say that, you know, we're being as efficient with the funds as we can possibly be. You can look at how much we have uh, spent and compare it to other projects that are out there. And I think that you'll see it's very obvious that we're very heavily on the side of being quite efficient. I'm always looking for ways to be even more efficient in the in the project. I, 
I try to take on as many roles as I possibly can to increase that efficiency. Um, but at the end of the day, there's going to be some upkeep, right? There's servers and services that need to be provided, et cetera, et cetera. That means that there does need to be income coming in. And while we're building out the game, it's just a better idea to have a, a longer amount of that as possible. So with Alluvium Beyond, we're hoping that this first wave goes absolutely crazy and we max out that sort of security pool. Um, if not, then we'll continue on as normal and I, I won't be, you know, terribly worried. But mm. yeah, I, I'm definitely one of those people that if you said to me, we had 100 years of runway, I'd say, but can we get 101? So, yeah. Awesome. Maybe that's a good, um, yeah, that's another segue into another question we had from the community, which was talking about whether, I guess, talking about this free-to-play um, potential model that mm -hmm. um, may be on offer to those who, you know, don't want to spend vast amounts of money yep. inside the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I guess talking about if the ability to craft skins for these free-to-play model, is that being considered? Um, and I guess this um, thing we have where you're weighing up um, paying players, the community, rarity, yep. and, you know, market demand. So maybe you can shed some light on so how you that the the general idea with the free-to-play model is that we want there to be a way for people to collect our assets for free if you can collect our assets for free and then you can use them in all of the games it means you can play every game for free when we design things we we had some core tenants that we think were um that have held us in good stead which are things like, you know, come up with systems that can be replicated, come up with systems that match real world, you know, paradigms, right? So the idea of other games out there that have a free to play model and then mixed in with some pay to play stuff, uh, it didn't really make sense for us to go with a model where only skins were paid for. Uh, so we decided to look at models that were a bit more similar to games like Hearthstone, Magic the Gathering, where you sort of have to, you know, buy your packs of cards, but then there's also free packs, you know, booster packs that you can get. In our game, we call these tier zeros, right? There's these five tiers of rarity, one through five. And as you go up the rarity, you go into more powerful creatures. They're much harder to collect, much more sought after, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So then we've got something that's even below a tier one, and they're effectively meant to go to zero. So you can go into the overworld game and you can play through it and you can travel and you can collect shards and you can collect these creatures. But if you don't spend any money on it, you'll just be getting these tier zeros, right? You can level them up. You can fuse them together. You can play them in the arena game. If we had a kart racing game, you could go and race them in carts. If we had a first-person shooter, you could use them in that, right? They will be usable across all of our games. So there will be a way for someone to play every single game in our ecosystem without spending any money. Probably the one uh, slight tweak to that is in the Alluvium Zero game, you have to have a piece of land to be able to play. That's sort of like your cost of entry. Although we are doing a free-to-play model in that too, where you can get what's called virtual land. And effectively, it means you can just go and play the game, but you don't have that impact on the economy because you're not pulling fuel out of it or anything like that. There's a lot of games out there in the crypto space that seem to 
operate on this magical thinking that you can build a game, have people, you know, earn money for free and not have anyone input it into the economy. And it's just always going to keep on going up. And we saw 2020, 2021, 2022, basically all of them went complete bust because it's completely ridiculous to think that there's going to be some magical new thing to the economy just because you put the word crypto in the title. It doesn't make sense, right? There needs to be paying players. And for us, it's like when you buy Magic the Gathering cards, you become a paying player. You can go and use them, except in our game, you don't actually buy the cards in in packs. You go into the overworld and you have an adventure, right? So you actually travel into a world which has been designed by a team of, you know, about 70 to 80 amazing artists, these unbelievably gorgeous worlds, and you basically go and find your cards lying around, right? So it would be like you go into a shop and you get that packet of cards, but the uh, person behind the counter, instead of handing them over to you, opens the pack and then just goes, boom, throws them into the air and you've got to run around the store and go and collect them. But instead of it being, you know, a Walmart or a Kmart or something like that, it's actually this beautiful sort of sci fantasy, you know, planet where you can do all of these things. So we feel like that's a pretty decent uh, combination where some people will pay because they want to be able to trade these things. And because they can trade them, it makes perfect sense. We're not saying that everybody who gets a card is going to be able to sell it for more, but you will be able to own it. And we do have a marketplace for you to go and sell it if you so wish. So there will be people on both sides of that. And then on top of that, there will be skins that people can get. And some of the rarest of those skins will actually be created by people in the game. And that means that we're not selling them to you. You're buying them from someone else. And we just take our cut when you go to sort of create the skin, we take a small amount and then you own it. So for example, there could be a person who has a Ramfire skin for a Mozart companion drone, and maybe they're the only person in the entire gaming ecosystem that has access to that blueprint. And that means that if you want to go running around in our world with your companion drone decked out so that it looks like Ramfire, then you need to buy that skin and maybe none of them exist in the world, but you know that there's one guy with a blueprint, you have mm. to pay him and what you pay him, it's up to him, right? He gets to decide. He might say, you got to pay me a thousand bucks for it and you can take it or you can leave it, but it's not us that are charging a price for it. It's other players in the game. There will be other cosmetics in the game that you can buy directly from us, but in general, there has to be money coming in so that there can be uh, money going out. Pretty, yeah, pretty no, that makes stuff. sense. Thanks. Um, I think we just have one more question as well, which was based on um, crypto gaming regulation, especially in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting as well, I guess, when you're talking about like revenue distribution and we know like the regulatory uh, front is pretty uncertain at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the question was just in regards of, have you guys um, done any discussions with, with the government in terms of how you guys are 
looking at the game, considering that I think you guys are... Uh, me me like, personally, I have not. Yeah. Um, well, the, we, I guess the Alluvium team. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We, we have done a lot of work working with some of the best experts in the legal crypto space, people that, you know, are sort of pioneering the way that these laws are going to be developed. We've been invited to give feedback onto, you know, various... Uh, committees and things like that to to help try and work out the best way uh, forward around the world. The answer is, I don't know what the laws are going to be. I don't think that there's any person uh, in the world that can sort of predict exactly the way that these laws are going to pan out. But we have done a lot of homework to make sure that when it comes time for them to say, hey, here are the rules, that we have the flexibility to be able to follow them. So I, I'm not at all worried about uh, any issues like that. Whatever the situation is, we'll, we'll be able to adapt to it. Cool. That's a, yeah, thanks for the chat as well. Maybe we could just end it with, uh, which was the final question actually, is mm-hmm. uh, maybe we bring it all together on how Alluvium is different to other crypto-based games. Maybe if you have a, sure. a minute or yep. a quick uh picture there. Like yeah. yeah. I, I would say that there's, there's two ways that we're different to other crypto games. The, the first one is a very obvious one that people can see just by looking at gameplay footage and things like that. That is the, the art of our game destroys anything else, right? Now, maybe I don't know all of the games that are in development, et cetera, et cetera, but we are trying to be as good art as AAA titles. Okay, so we're we're not trying to you know beat the best crypto game. You know, we're we're not we're not trying to beat you know blockchain miners or whatever. I don't know if that's actually a game. We're just making it up. You know, <laughs> um, we are trying to produce something that people will play that aren't interested in crypto. Right? Our job as a game is to get gamers to play it, right? So one of the things that gamers are absolutely passionate about is they want to have graphics that match up to their expectations. And we are, you know, definitely doing that. There's there's nothing out there like what we have. You can even look at something like uh, a game like uh, Teamfight Tactics by the uh, Riot Games, which is a game that I absolutely love and has beautiful graphics. When you zoom into our characters and watch a battle up close and you know do slow motion on it, they can't touch us in terms of what that battle will look like. And we are still in a closed beta. Give us another year and they've built their technology on a game that is you know effectively now 15 years old, I think. Ours is you know, meant to be based on new technology. I mean, who knows? They'll probably come out with an MMO and it'll be unbelievably gorgeous and they have amazing artists. So uh, I I don't think that we'll beat them long-term, but we'll definitely be in there with the big boys in terms of the art. And that is an important aspect for a lot of people. Even in our city building game, it is absolutely gorgeous. And I mean, it does have some fairly high requirements for a mobile game. It certainly doesn't run on a potato. The second thing that we bring to the table, which is different to everything else, is the overall gameplay experience. And this is probably the hardest thing for us to develop because no one has done this before. There's no 
uh, I mean, there's no studio in the world that has given access to items, built multiple games where those items are meant to plug into all of them and be used interchangeably. There are people that go close. There's a Steam marketplace where you can take items and sell them. There's that. And that that is like super novel. Not many people have that. We have that. There's a lot of crypto marketplaces out there that do those sort of things. We're not Robinson Crusoe. Then there's games like EVE Online where the player base has the ability to affect a lot of things in there. We're doing that just like they did it and we'll build that over time. And then there's the all of these experiences that we're building into it, like building out an IP franchise. And there are studios that do that. You know, there's there's Riot Games, there's uh, uh, Blizzard, there's there's a bunch of other people out there that have IPs that span a, a, amongst multiple games, but no one brings all of that together. And it's only when all of that comes together that you start to see a new thing emerge out of it. I try to think about it in terms of like, we, we've seen this explosion in artificial intelligence with these generative you know, language models. And when they were quite small, they were super dumb. The second that they got big enough that they encompassed a lot of features, all like millions and billions of parameters, all of a sudden you start to see these emergent properties that weren't even built into it, which is now they can translate they can understand humor. They can, uh, you know, speak to you with different emotions and stuff like that. Our system is designed to be big enough that once all of the pieces go together, a new sort of a meta, I guess, MMO will will sort of form out of it, where people will be able to dip in between games, and it'll sort of be like the the MMO of our game will be all of them put together. What that looks like. I have some ideas. Our team have some ideas, but no one really knows. And there's just nothing out there like it. So if people want to come on the journey with us and see, you know, in two, three years time when we've got a few games in there, what is the overall experience for the player? Each individual game is not going to be everything, right? You know, a kart racing game will be very simple, right? Our overworld at the moment is reasonably simple. It doesn't have a lot of complexity. Our arena game, maybe that's a little bit overly complex, but we're working on it, right? But we want that to be a simple, straightforward game. If we do a card game, that'll be simple. Trading is very simple in our system. The Alluvium Zero game is super simple, but when you put all of those simple components together, complexity can emerge. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for the chat today and the roundup. I really enjoyed getting into Alluvium. King no to see... Hopefully, um, when you guys are making progress and keen to play the public beta and see just how the public responds. Yeah, that'll uh, be interesting. Anybody who's interesting or interested in Alluvium, maybe uh, where's the best place to, yep. I guess, join up? So uh, if you're interested in, I guess, owning it and making the decisions, ILV is what you need to be purchasing. That's the best way to to do it. If you're interested in controlling the sort of, the way that our economy works, you're best off buying land because that's where you get to have you, you know your finger on uh, you know the pulse of the the overall economy. If you just want to be up to date with what's going on, definitely the Alluvium Discord is the best place to go. We try to post at least one leak a week, you know, sometimes five, 10, 20 leaks, and you get to see the progress 
I'm in there pretty much every day. A lot of our team are in there every day. A lot of people don't realize this, but we sort of work using Discord in some capacity as well. So we have a very close connection to the community. So if you ask a question, our team through Discord will be available to answer it pretty much 24-7. We have people all over the world. And that would be the best place to sort of get familiar with, you know, timelines and uh, all of the features that we're producing. Awesome. Well, thanks for the roundup and hopefully we can chat again soon. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Yeah.